Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. Today, I'm here with my new friend, Hillary Walsh. Hillary is a military spouse. She's a mom of four. She's an immigration lawyer, a law professor, a multi-million dollar business owner, an author, a speaker, and she's here to share a little bit about her story with us today. So Hillary, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you're here. Obviously, I gave like the high level accomplishments list from your life, but I want to hear like the more nitty gritty parts of your life. So would you take a moment to introduce yourself and share with us a little bit about your story? Yeah, it's always funny to hear someone talk about yourself and then be like, and they're just faking it completely. Like (laughs) it's still a hot mess. It's still a work in progress for sure. Um, Nitty gritty is I grew up in rural Kansas, like on the Oklahoma, Kansas border in a field. Okay. And I think that the reading John Grisham books and we didn't really have TV. Like at one point sure. uh, we laugh um, because my little brother had messed with our TV un- unbeknownst to us. And so we would listen to wheel of fortune at night nice. and try to solve the puzzle, but we couldn't see the puzzle. So we're just kind of like <laughs> shouting at a black screen TV. I have great memories of that and watching yeah. um, a lot of little house on the prairie. Sure. Um, but that's kind of where I grew up. And mm-hmm. that's the, that's the dynamic I grew up in a really low income family. Yeah. And I'm so fortunate to be where I am now in the sense of, I got to watch two really hardworking parents make it happen, even mm-hmm. when they didn't know how to make it happen. And that has really laid the framework for me to be able to explore and, and enjoy. Yeah. So what took you from rural Kansas to where you are now? I live in Phoenix now, but I, I joke that I married my one-way ticket out of Kansas um, (laughs) because he was, I met this awesome guy at a 4th of July barbecue. My cousin introduced us and he was leaving town and never coming back Mm. that fall. And I was like, we should get to know each other. (laughs) You have a steady income, which is the first guy I had dated who had a steady income and your own apartment, no roommates even. Yeah. And he's in the air force and having grown up in Kansas, Kansas is huge on aviation. And the the beautiful thing about Kansas is you can see for a really long time, because there's not, you know, tall skyscrapers Mm -hmm. out in the middle of fields. And I grew up watching planes, really big airplanes land at McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita, mm-hmm. not knowing that that's what I was looking at. I was looking at someone who, you know, I, now I look at airplanes all the time still because my husband's a pilot in the Air Force. So we sure. got married um, and then began kind of our, our, world, our world tour um, mm-hmm. with the Air Force that took us to Japan and Korea, Vegas here in Phoenix, where we are now in England. So we've we've lived a traveled life. Yeah. No kidding. You have been everywhere. Um, and we were talking a little bit earlier that your childhood, you spent some time in foster care and juvie. Can you share a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah. Kind of how you would imagine. So I grew (laughs) up in, um, iron fist disciplined parents. My parents were, we all went to a, um, very Baptist church and um, discipline, harsh discipline was, as my mom described it, almost mandatory. Mm. So it was very much the spare the rod, spoil the child approach. My mom in reflection has really shared that she just didn't know how to parent. Mm. And 
to her great credit, her mom didn't know how to parent either and was trying to figure it out without, without a lot of support. And there was no internet. Like I have, I had four kids in four years, really wild deal. And, um, I remember about two years ago, Googling, why is my six-year-old possessed by the devil Mm. and Google filled in possessed by the devil after I started P O S S possessed by the devil. So I'm not the only one who Googled that. As, or Google, like, just <laughs> really started to read my mind. Yeah, wow. But, you know, back then in the in the eighties and the nineties, and when my mom was a kid in the sixties and seventies, they didn't have Google, they didn't have parenting coaches, at least not that my parents yeah. and grandparents had access to, sure. um, because of economic reasons. So, um, mom and dad were trying their best, mm-hmm. and then you you throw in um, you throw in really, really bad alcoholism and a background Mm. of both of them having grown up in a domestic violence situation when they were kids and you get a real recipe for disaster, best of intentions, recipe Mm -hmm. for disaster. Mm -hmm. Also, I was a very strong-willed kid. So I wasn't out doing any drug, sex, or rock and roll, but I was not honoring what my parents were asking me to do. So they felt like they had no control. I don't think that they did as, as I look back on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not really to excuse them beating me because that's what, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it ended up being sure. But nevertheless, I think that you can look back on it. It's been like 20 some years now and, and really, you know, parenting, becoming a parent really gives you a lot of grace toward mm-hmm. your parents because you yeah. were brought to your knees when all the things you say that you weren't going to do, you find yourself doing. So I, I got put in foster sure. care. And then I skipped play practice one day and I went to a really small school. I think there were like 60 kids in my graduating class. So when you skip play practice, there were probably only 30 of us there, mm-hmm. but I had such low self-worth and a feeling of insignificance that I thought, I guess no one was going to notice that I mm. skipped play practice, even though I was in foster care, right in my foster family lived across the street from the school. I skipped play practice and went to Sonic to get happy hour smoothies, like the, what are the icy drinks? I can't remember what they're called off the top of my head with my, with two of my girlfriends. And I came back and was taken into um, a lockup facility for runaway, really bad teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I had never really done anything like what you would consider to be bad. Like, sure. Yeah. But rules are rules. And that's Mm. what the state said I had to do. Wow. How long was that process? I don't have a lot of memories of that okay. time. Okay. And it's interesting because I've been going back and trying to journal and bringing some of that stuff up has been yeah. a unique experience. Sure. But I think that I was in juvie for less than six weeks. Okay. Um, they, they forcibly medicate you. Um, mm. And I was actually interviewed someone on my podcast yesterday who works here in Arizona in foster care. And she said, they still forcibly medicate kids. It's not just a thing of the nineties. So it's a very hazy memory. Um, And I don't know if it's because of trauma or because I don't remember. I don't know if a lot of people remember things when they're 15. Sure. Um, And then on top of that, to have medication thrown in there. So it's a hazy memory to process. Yeah, no kidding. What has it looked like to... Um, walk through the resilience of that experience and the forgiveness and then the hope that you talk about in your show? Yeah, the 
the healing process and reconciliation, I, it's not a, it's not a linear process. Mm. And I think that we, we want it to be real bad. We want it to be like a one and done. Mm -hmm. Um, I said, sorry, you said, sorry, now we can move on. But then you, you still find yourself thinking about things that were said or done and you have to process those things. I, for a long time, just wanted it to, I didn't wanted it to not exist. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of guilt and shame around it because I felt like I had deserved it. Mm-hmm. And even as my mom and I worked through it 10, 15 years later, after it happened, yeah, she still felt like I deserved it. And my mm-hmm. mom is a straight shooter. She's not going to tell you things that to make you feel better. She's going to tell you how she feels. Sure. And that hurt a lot to think I I want to forgive this person for doing something that I think was wrong to me and very violative of me, but she still feels like I deserve it. Mm. The good thing is there's, there's a little element of truth to everything. And I don't have to feel like I deserve it to still give her the grace of knowing that she really does feel convicted and that she did her best. Mm. And so her best at that time, we can only Monday morning quarterback ourselves and our lives so much. So we can, we can say in that moment, was that the best that she could do? She says, yes, I have to believe her. Mm. And would it be the same behavior today? No, it wouldn't. So, you know, that is, that has been the reconciliation journey, um, between me and my folks and, and really me and myself Mm. as, as like for a long time thinking that I was a bad kid Mm. and, and realizing no one's a bad kid. Sure. No one's a bad kid. We make bad choices yeah. but we learn from them. And that's what growing up is all about. And come to find out being a mid thirties person is also still all about. <laughs> right. Figuring it out as we go. Figuring it out, making mistakes Yeah. and not living in a cycle of guilt and shame sure. or resentment. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so hard. It's so easy to sit here and say, yeah, let's not live guilt, shame, or resentment. And then tomorrow hits and we're like, Oh, here we are again. Yeah, for sure. I actually did some work in late November of 2020. I did some work with a a mindset coach. His name is David Nagel. And I did an intensive workshop where a component of it was to release a lot of the resentment and anger and the, the baggage that I had been really hanging on to against my parents. Yeah. <laughs> It's wild, but he had a group of us with a, this, I, I've not talked about this before in, in the moment, it seems normal outside of uh, sure. this type of workshop. It seems very abnormal, but it was so cathartic. And I think that it really led to me releasing so much was to write a letter to my parents and just give it to them. Mm. And you did this to me and this to me. And I trusted you and I expected this, that, and the other. And I, I'm sure that someday my kids are going to have to write a letter like that to me. Sure. Uh, Cause as parents and as people, we are so inherently flawed. Yeah. But then I, I put that letter in a brown paper bag and we burned it. Mm. And then we also, the group of us went with a pool noodle, which is not heavy mm-hmm. and a dog bed. And we beat the crap out of this dog bed. Mm. and just let it out. Yeah. And there is something so cathartic people like parenting coaches these days talk about teach your kid how to express anger in a healthy Mm. way. Yeah. 
I was never taught how to express anger in a healthy way. It was disrespectful and unacceptable mm. to express anger. Like and anger is a sinful behavior in mm. these types of conversations. Sure. Yeah. And I was angry and I needed to let it out. And it didn't hurt anybody for me to beat this dog bed with a pool noodle. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it, and it released so much. I walked out of there 3000 pounds lighter, mm. but I knew I was leaving it there. Yeah. There was a conscious decision of this is not going to, this is not going to control my behavior anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes those moments where we're doing some sort of physical expression is so cathartic in ways that we didn't anticipate. Like when I was in college, we used to have to clear a room of the tables and chairs every week. And so you're literally kicking these tables to put them away. And I could tell when that day was coming every week, because I was like, I need to just go get, kick some tables to get some of this energy out and to process through it, like physically with my body. I love it. My husband yesterday was Wednesday and my husband said, you know what? I think I'm going to start doing this every week, but I just did a whack it Wednesday where I just went at all the things that I had been putting off and dreading doing. I just was like whacking those things off of my to-do list. And I was like, that is the weirdest thing, but you do you, man. But Hey, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Those things that only take a couple of minutes, but you've been avoiding them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you end up from um, overcoming all of that? What took you to immigration law? I think that that is what, what took me to immigration law. Oh, so interesting. when I know, right. For a long time, people would ask me, cause I've been an immigration lawyer for over 10 years and sure. I am a white lady, English speaker from rural Kansas, mm-hmm. not the you know melting pot of diversity right. and culture and inclusion. It is a lot of white people and mm-hmm. a lot of people who think the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we would go to a, we went, we went to A&W to get taco salad. Like we did not, it's not like yes. the, it's not where one would think this is where immigration lawyers are born and bred. Yeah. That's where this immigration was, immigration sure. lawyers born and bred. I think it was when, I mean, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Oh, wow. And, and not in like a celebratory way. My, my dad's siblings have, are very uh, educated, mm-hmm. but my mom and dad didn't think that education was, was valuable. They mm. feel, and I think they still feel this way to some extent that it's a little bit of a business mm. and it's the business of getting a piece of paper so you can say that you can do a specific job. I kind of agree with them. They're not wrong. Now here yeah. I have like, you know, still yeah. tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. I'm like, you know right. what, you were right. But I couldn't do my job if I hadn't done that. So I'm grateful mm-hmm. that I went to school and, and did the deed. Yeah. But growing up where we didn't know doctors, we didn't know lawyers, mm-hmm. we were working people. Yeah. And the first time I met a lawyer was when I went to my family reunification hearing. Mm. in my little hometown yeah. where you would usually go to get your driver's license or pay a speeding ticket. I went into a courtroom with this guy wearing a suit and mm-hmm. we don't wear suits in rural Kansas. So sure. it's like, who's this guy? Yeah. And we walk into a courtroom. I had never been in a courtroom, maybe seen it on TV before. And I had to sit down. It was the first time I had seen my parents since I had been taken out of the home. Mm. And my lawyer tells the judge that I'm ready to my lawyer. This is the guy in the suit. Yeah. Tells the judge that I'm ready to go home. And I wasn't ready to go home. Not in a, I want to like live it up in foster care, just in a, I need to, I probably needed therapy. I probably needed someone to sit down with me and say, what are ways that can help you feel safe at home? 
Yeah. And no one was having that conversation. And then no one asked me, are you ready to go home? But my lawyer spoke on my behalf and there was no way I could sit next to two people who had just beaten the crap out of me right. and say, no, 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 no. I may go home with them in six months, but I'm not ready to go home with them now because yeah. I knew I would have to pay the price once I, sure. you know, I would be publicly humiliating them in our little right. small town. Right. Immigration lawyers get to, I think lawyers in general really get to bridge the divide between a really scary situation for people. Probably one of the most scariest days of their life anytime they have to go to court. Yeah. But immigrants, especially because they're about to get kicked out of the country and they oftentimes, at least my client base, don't speak English. So all of it's done in English. Everything is foreign. My Mm -hmm. main demographic of client, they're not around people who wear suits. They're working people. They're my people. Mm. So I think I was just really attracted to this. You know, I grew up cleaning houses and mowing yards and weeding flower beds. Like this is, these are my, we are cut from the same cloth, just you know, made in mm-hmm. different countries of origin. Right. Yeah. So I think when I first figured this out in law school, I could I couldn't put my finger on it because I didn't I didn't know why I had had that experience as a teenager. Mm. But then you look back in hindsight and you can give so much gratitude to these really hard, awful things yeah. that make you uniquely good at the thing that you're called to do. Mm. And that's what I'm called to do. Yeah. I love that. And I know that you're a valuable part of their life journeys. Well, sometimes I don't do a good job and sometimes I'm less valuable, (laughs) always working to do my best, but yeah, you know, when you can help someone get through some of those, like truly Mm -hmm. the hardest parts of their life, yeah, you know, everything else really, uh, fades into the, into the background. Yeah, for sure. So as we're sitting here talking about immigration and immigration law, how are ways that we can be supportive of the immigration process? Just as a, I'm a white mid thirties year old white woman. Yeah. I think that a big conversation, um, for people who, who look like me and you Mm -hmm. is often that I support immigration, but they need to go about it the right way. Sure. Which is, I won't say any bad words, but a lot of hooey. Because when we really scratch below that surface textbook answer, we find that it's an unreasonable expectation. For example, if you are Mexican, you are in a 20 year line Mm -hmm. to be able to legally immigrate to the United States if you are over the age of 21. Wow. And for siblings, even if you're under the age of 21, if you want your, if you want to bring your sibling to the United States, it's a 20 plus year wait. So what we often have the most painful cases for me to see, like emotionally painful are folks who they were brought here as kids by mom, dad, and brother who all had their green cards, but little Mm. brother hadn't gotten his petition for yet, but they didn't want to wait. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't live in the U.S. for six months at a time, you lose your green card. Oh wow! So if you stay in Mexico and wait for a little brother who maybe was sure. just born or whatever to get his green card, that's going to be more than six months. We're yeah. all going to have to start all over again. Mm. So we're all going to go to the U.S. And before Bill Clinton was president in the '90s, this is like I don't know if you've seen that TikTok guy. <laughs> 
<laughs> who sings about his fundamentalist Christian church in the nineties. Oh gosh, no, but it sounds great. <laughs> oh, it really is. It really is. Um, because he's, he's like super out gay and talks about all the things that, you know, the church did. And now as a out gay man, um, mm -hmm. he can kind of look back and chuckle about one yeah. of the things being obsession with the rapture. And I'm like, mm. I didn't know that other churches weren't so obsessed with the rapture <laughs> until I saw right? that. And I asked my husband who grew up Catholic and like, were you guys always talking about the rapture? And he's like, no. So, oh, we were like, mm -hmm. as a kid, I would look out in the distance in the clouds and wonder if Jesus was coming back right now. Like we right? were waiting for the rapture. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that the TikTok guy talks about that. But every yeah. time I say in the nineties, I think of him now. So Bill Clinton <laughs> was president in the nineties. And that's yeah. when the last time we had major immigration reform was. Mm. But before that, if you entered the country, like this little boy in this story I'm telling you about, yeah. you enter the country without papers, you could leave and you could go back to Mexico and fix your papers. And there were no consequences for having unlawfully entered. Mm -hmm. So mom and dad bring me to the country. I'm this little kid. Now I'm 35 years old and I want my green card. I yeah. want to go back. Unfortunately, when Clinton was president, the... The law was changed. And this isn't Clinton's fault, this, or not that there's really fault to be blamed sure. or to be assigned. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, what happened was now when you leave, you're barred from the country for 10 years. Oh, wow. So there's a huge disincentive. Yeah. We think that it disincentivizes people from illegally entering, mm -mm. but because the only way for it to be triggered for the consequence to become effective is to leave. Yeah. So it actually disincentivizes people from leaving, mm. not from illegally entering. Like I'm yeah. going to come to the best country in the world. I'm not planning to leave. Right. There's no immigration consequence. If you enter illegally, right. There is a major immigration consequence. If you leave and try to fix. Wow. So person enters mom, dad, and siblings, they all have their papers. Now they all are us citizens and you're the odd yeah. man out. Yeah. You're a grown up man who can't have a driver's license, who doesn't have a social security number, can't work at a real mm -hmm. job. You got to get paid under the table. And that is just breeding ground for being taken advantage of. I have a yeah. lot of clients who've been trafficked by white people, sure. um, including in Kansas where I'm from and definitely here in Arizona mm -hmm. because they take advantage of people who are inherently vulnerable because yeah. they can. Right. And so this is the plight of that person mm. and they can't leave or they will have a bar that goes up behind them for 10 years. You can try mm. to get a waiver, but waivers are not a guarantee. And it is mm -hmm. so risky to leave the country and hope for the best yeah. on the other side. Yeah. So I, I guess the easiest way for me to say for you to get involved in immigration education or know-how is when we talk about immigration, the the news cycle is feeding us something that we will consume. Mm. And the easiest things, you know, to sell are usually not good for us. Like most restaurants would go out of business if they didn't sell alcohol. Alcohol right. is not good for us. Right. Yet it's what keeps people in business. And I think yeah. that the news on some level sells a lot of things that aren't necessarily good for us as a right. country and for our yeah. values or to support our value system. And I think that as a country, our value system is actually very inclusive. Mm. But when we start eating more and more and consuming more and more of things that say us versus them, yeah, 
it really becomes problematic. So we can look at this and say, man, the textbook answer on this, I think is I support immigration, which makes me feel good, but it needs to be done the lawful way. The Bible talks about, you know, honor the laws of your land, follow the rules. What happens when the rules need to be changed? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where my heart is at. Yeah. I've heard so many horror stories, like the example that you shared of people who want to do it the right way, but there are, there are laws, there are rules, there are things that are preventing it and making it literally impossible for them to do it the right way. And then they get caught. It's the right way here, right way there and get caught without being able to do it at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think back, I don't know if you ever watched Braveheart, the, that war epic movie yeah. with, um, with Mel Gibson many yeah. years ago, probably in the nineties, if we're going to do this, probably, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, there, there was a scene in there where he's wanting to marry his wife, but mm. in, I guess it was English law. And, you know, this was set in Scotland that when you got married, um, someone in the English government would get to have sex with your wife first. Oh, wow. So they were trying to get married in secret. And of course, this isn't like an immigration law. It's obviously not that vulgar or awful. Yeah. But when we create, like the human spirit will overcome Mm. and families will be together. And it's like, how can we create a system where people can follow the rules? Yeah. We don't have government injecting itself in a damaging way. Mm. And when we have such an open border with Canada, you don't even have to get a visa to come to the U.S. You have a Canadian passport. You can come for six months of the year forever, unless you commit some type of crime that damages your ability to come. Yeah. We don't have that with Mexico. Right. And I wonder why that is. Mm-hmm. We trade more with Mexico than with Canada. We rely much more on Mexican labor and Mexican products than we do on mm-hmm. Canada. And for me, it just gets down to this feels a little racist. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we say, I support immigration, but the legal way. And then we really look at it. And it's like the legal, probably racist way. Can I support that? Uh I can't. I can't. And of course, I'm not advocating as an immigration, as any lawyer, you can't advocate to break the law, but you can't advocate to reform it and to change it. Right. And that's, that is my, like, if there's a hill you're going to die on, that's the hill I I don't want to Mm -hmm. die, but like, that's the hill I would proverbially die on, you know? Yeah. You've lived in a lot of different countries and a lot of different places. How has that affected your perspective? It has been so challenging to live in other places and I love coming home, but it's also been extremely um, gratifying. Mm -hmm. I mean, my kids grew up the first couple of years of their life in Korea and Mm -hmm. we're eating Korean food every day. Like my husband and I used to play the, you know, one, two, three, not it game on yeah. him to clean out their lunch pails on squid day. Cause they yeah. sat in the car all day and it was stinky. Yeah. Um, but it has been so good to live in other cultures that are so homogenous 
and then you come yeah. back to the US. Like I remember going for a jog in Korea. And at the time, like right now I have bleach blonde hair, but at the time I had long, very, very dark brown hair. Mm-hmm. I had pulled my hair up and pulled it through a ball cap. And I was out on a jog with sunglasses on and everybody knew that I wasn't Korean yeah. largely because I turn bright red when I do any exercise, yeah. <laughs> like the blotchy red. I'm out on a jog and I realize that everyone is staring at me because they're not used to seeing a red lady out running. Sure. <laughs> they know I'm not Korean yeah. and, and I'm not a fast runner. So it wasn't like mm-hmm. Flojo's running down the street. Um, you don't ever get that in the U S mm. even if someone talks to you and they have a very thick accent on their English, you still don't know whether they are from here or not. Sure. And that's so cool because sure. you can just exist. And so much less of it is about whether you belong here or not. And yeah. there is something so powerful to that. People don't, I mean, and then we bring so much richness and ideas for people mm-hmm. who do grow up somewhere else. You don't, you don't leave home yeah. and come somewhere else if you don't like what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. And um, the people I serve through my law firm mm-hmm. absolutely love this country on yeah. a whole different level than I think, or appreciation, I guess I yeah. should say than you and I could ever appreciate because we were just gifted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Um, and so to hear, you know, I have a deep love of country, a lot of family members in the military. Um, my cousin died in action. Mm. Um, I love my country yeah. and it's a great honor to be able to, to help people legalize their status in this country. Cause I know they love it too. So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool to see. And it's cool to see like the passion that they have for our country. And it's also cool to get to experience different cultures. Like you were talking about running in Korea. I remember walking around China and people being able to be like, where did the Americans go that way? And you could follow me through town because I was the only American around. Yes. (laughs) I was pregnant in China with my third baby and Mm -hmm. my twins were very young at the time. Yeah. I mean, they were 10 months old, maybe. No, they were 14 months old, really small. Yeah. And in China, everyone wanted to touch us Mm -hmm. because twins Mm -hmm. are considered good luck because there's not at the time there wasn't a, uh, it was one pregnancy. Sure. It wasn't a one child rule. It was one pregnancy rule. Yeah. So if you had twins, you hit the jackpot. Right. So, it, but yes, you couldn't go anywhere and, and uh, you were a movie star everywhere you went, whether you wanted it or not. Yes. That's, that was my experience in as India, well. The same for me as well. Um, yeah. You, yeah. On a whole new level. So yes, I'm in strangers <laughs> pictures all across. The oh world. yeah. I mean, I just embraced it. I was like, man, this is my Britney Spears moment. <laughs> yeah. 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 And to be fair, I have pictures of strangers from all across the world too. So I guess it's yes. just kind of a give and take. Yes, absolutely. I know they're like, oh, look at this. This white lady wanted a picture with us. <laughs> right? Basically. Yeah. I'm sure they awesome. are. I love it. What have I not asked you that you want to chat about? I would love for people to come check out my social media. Yes, for so sure. It's something, it's something new that I'm doing. It is outside my comfort zone. I've been promoting yeah. my law firm forever and I always will. It's easy to promote a business. It's harder to promote yourself. Mm, um, and those yeah. probably spin into like self-worth things and stuff. Sure. But 
if knowing your audience, mm-hmm. I'm in the same vein where it's like, I, I want to, I want to be with people who share similar values, yeah. but not like in the dog whistle sense. Right. I want to be with people who share similar values because someday I'm not going to be here anymore. And I want to, I want to create a legacy mm. that is honorable of the fundamentals that I learned in church. Yeah. The church can do lots wrong, but man, it's doing a lot, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's what I want to wrap my hands around. So my yeah. Instagram is the underscore Hillary underscore show. Okay. And the joke there is my parents used to get on to me and say, this isn't the Hillary show. Move on. <laughs> you know? And now I'm like, but what if it is? Yeah, it so, is. Uh, it's the Hillary show. So it's love it. That's Instagram and cool. And I would love to be able to connect with your community. Yeah. There. For sure. We will link to that in the show notes for you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Would you be willing to pray for us? Absolutely. Cool. Let's do that now. God in heaven, God on earth. God, I ask that the people who are listening and, and, and needing to hear from you will know that you are the creator of everything beautiful and wonderful and that you created them, that they are beautiful and wonderful and they have value and they have worth and it has nothing to do with all the roles that they play. They were born with it and they will die with it. They are absolutely perfect creations made to look and be who you are. And we're just all different prisms on that rainbow, God, that we get to exist and be and celebrate who you made us to be and that we align ourselves with the values of what you have given us and instilled in us. And thank you for helping us appreciate the beauty of who you have made us to be. God, I pray that you will that you will extract more beauty from us, that we will further blossom, whether it's our spring or our winter, mm. that we will know that there are always brighter days ahead, that this is not the best it's going to be, that there is a future for us that is so beautiful, and that even in our hardest moments, we look back on the tapestry of our life and we see that it has been perfectly weaved together. Thank you for creating us to be expressions of who you are. Thank you for giving us worth and value. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. So I have one final question for you. If you could be any inanimate object, what would you be and why? I think an airplane. I could just go anywhere. Love it. To be able to travel wherever you wanted. Anywhere you wanted. Get up to go into the sky and see above the clouds. Love it. Well, Hillary, thank you so much for your time today, for your insight. This has been super insightful for me. You've given me a lot of things to chew on. I love getting to hear your perspective and your journey. So thank you so much for trusting us with it. Thank you for having me. Don't you just love Hillary? I love how she spoke of everyone and everything in her life with this grace and with this peace and with this overcomer's mindset. And how she assumed the best in other people and she assumed the best in herself. And I loved how she didn't let her story stick at any particular point. She looked at what does it look like to move forward, to find healing, to find forgiveness. What a beautiful gift it was to be trusted with her story today. One way that you can say thank you to her for this delightful episode is by following her on Instagram, the underscore Hillary underscore show. I'm on Instagram. I'm already following her. I'm at Katie Axelson. So feel free to find me and then find her or vice versa or just find her. That's cool too, I guess, um, if you want. 
Um, another way is by leaving a review of the podcast and just talking about how much the stories that we're trusted with impact you and how much you appreciate hearing them because that's how others know that their stories are going to be safe here on the show, how we can continue to hear diverse perspectives and how we can continue to travel. Be sure to hit that follow button, my friend. We will see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.